Soldiers and smashing, welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic before in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes another comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read using Marvel comics. It is the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience here for you on that MVM podcast. And in today's episode... We're taking a special look, a remastered look at The Incredible Hulk 2008, the second ever um, MCU movie. We looked at it once in our very first year, three years ago, and now we're going to give it a full, proper, proper treatment. Uh, My name is Rob Halden. I'm a comedian, writer, and I'm the Marvel um, expert in the equation, and joined as ever by Mr. Will Preston, who's going on a very ignorant journey. Oh, the most ignorant of journeys. It's uh, I'll be surrounded by culture, landscapes, going to take none of it in. Going to come out with nothing. <laughs> Coming up, we go behind the scenes on the making of the Incredible Hulk movie. We take a look at the most important moment in the history of the MCU. We'll go behind the page on the creation of the Hulk and how it nearly failed as a character. Plus, we'll explore exactly how powerful the Hulk is, what causes his transformations, the abomination Betty Ross, Thunderbolt Ross. Is there a cure for the Hulkanism? And exactly how powerful... No, sorry, how is the Hulk tied to the Super Soldier Project? It's all still to come. Don't go anywhere. This is a giant, big, fat one. This really is. I am so pumped to be doing these Phase 1 remastered episodes with you, Will. Oh, same, um, same, absolutely same. The first time we looked at this three years ago, when this wasn't really a podcast, <laughs> this was, I don't know what to call it, a distraction during COVID lockdown, something to do to keep it, us busy, right? It was two men having a nervous breakdown, that's what it we was. Were, <laughs> it still is, in many ways. <laughs> we were trapped in our houses, nothing to do, nowhere to go, I had mm. absolutely no work on. Um and we were just killing time and we we didn't know how to make a podcast we didn't know how to structure it we didn't have anything in place the sound quality was bad mm. like I know a lot of people you know listen to those first episodes it's some of their first experiences of this podcast God bless you for sticking with us through those ones but this this phase one remastered is such a great project where we're going to give phase one the full MVM treatment it deserves given the incredible Hulk the same treatment we give anything now in our dotage of the podcasting world um, you know not many podcasts actually make, make it past like 6 to 12 months so we're, we're kind of elder statesmen now we know how to do a podcast we've got the equipment we've got the research we've got the editing skills it's gonna uh, be like I, I looked back at it Will you looked back on it did I, you? I, I had less than two pages of notes on that first Incredible Hulk episode we did. Actually, I, I'm i just going to see if I can find my notes, because I reckon it's going to be similar. I think this is back when it was literally just, <clears throat> what, how should we do the notes of the story? And it was just, I just went on Wikipedia and copied Wikipedia, yeah. reading Wikipedia out loud, and then me going... Oh. This happened in the 60s. It was... Uh, the format hasn't changed that much, but we know what we're doing more. Also coming up on the show, a special announcement. A special Spider-Man, Spider-Verse announcement at the Ooh. end of the show. So make sure that you uh, stick around and find out what we're doing next on MVM. Speaking of what we're doing next. What we do Thursday, next. the 25th of May, uh, me and Willie P 
Yes. Our guest speakers at a very cool event in London, Radio Times Talks, hosted by The Radio Times, the Radio an institution Times. in England, in Britain. Um, it's going to be a discussion panel tackling the future of Marvel movies and DC movies. What a, what a thing to be invited to this, Will. Yeah, it, it was it was an odd one. I was describing it last night at dinner. Um <laughs> And and I was just there going, oh, they were just asking, oh, you got, you got anything good on? You're not doing any comedy anymore? And I went, no, actually, I, I'm doing a thing with the Radio <laughs> Times uh, in a few weeks. And they went, oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, I should be impressed with this, shouldn't it? Just, it just yeah. seems, it's one of those things, where it's, it's not like, you know, oh, my God, I'm uber amazing. But it, it did, at the same time, sound too good to be true. <laughs> It's very impressive. Like, if you don't live in, 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 in this country, in Great Britain, um, or even probably just in England, the Radio Times is the, uh, like, it's an institution in terms of, it's the it's like the TV guide, but yeah. it's the TV guide in this country. Yeah. Um, and it's still, even though, like, I use the website uh, to, to check out what's on terrestrial television. I don't watch a huge amount of terrestrial television, but I always need to know when Coronation Street's on and what's, you know, when, because when, things like, um, I've got a lot of friends who'll turn up on amazing comedy shows. Yeah. Uh, like Taskmaster and things like that. I always need to know when that's going to be on and when I can see my comedian friends on stuff. Uh, and I use it for that. But also every Christmas, I don't know if you're like this, we probably aren't, because you're, uh, you're not like tied to old tech like I am. But my family, <laughs> every Christmas, we always get the Christmas edition of the Radio Times. It's oh, just, with Santa yeah, on the front cover, yeah, it's, a big, yeah. it's a big part of tradition. Um, and it's a heck of a thing to be yeah. to be asked to go along to this and be part of this discussion panel. Um, so it's Thursday, the twenty fifth of May. Radio Times talks. It's in oh, I forget where it's in now. Uh, it's at their headquarters in uh, London. Um, if you head to um, us on Twitter, we will pin the link as our pinned tweets at Marvel versus tickets are absolutely free, but they are limited, so you've got to grab them uh, while you can. This is dropping on Monday. It's the, the following thursday that coming thursday so there'll only be a few days to grab tickets when you listen to this come and see us discuss defend marvel i'm i'm fairly certain that there's there's going to be uh, a lot of people trying to take marvel down and me and will be there to uh, to stand up to these fools philistines rob absolute <laughs> philistines <laughs> This podcast really is the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. I get to represent all the um, people that were, well, I say all, there's not many of us left now. Uh, the people that used to read Marvel comics before the movies came out. But Will Preston gets to be with us on this journey as to represent the vast, overwhelming majority of Marvel fans today. People that haven't read Marvel comics and come to these movies and these TV shows with a fresh perspective. And thus we get to, I get to hold him down and pour all my trivia into his eyes what what uh, <laughs> so let's take a trip into the mind of a muggle now um can well, someone call hr please you have the most ignorant brain in the business yeah um I, so yeah. how did you what let's first of all did you see this movie the incredible hulk when it came out in cinemas 2008 no i actively avoided it uh, actually no that's, that's 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 a bit of an exaggeration i heard about it but one i'm not a big incredible hulk fan around that time i was all about batman baby especially with dark knight out um and i heard so many bad things about the other hulk i was just there going like ah. and, and it and you know what? I I barely even knew this film existed. I knew I I I knew Iron Man was out. Iron Man was the you know the thing, but wasn't quite Dark Knight, but still good. Mm. And then it's like, oh, 
they've done a new Hulk film with Ed Norton. And I'm like, uh, I barely heard anything about it. And I was just there going like, ah, I probably won't bother with it. I wasn't as that we, much of a cinema goer back then as well. Sorry, you spoke and I spoke. It was very rude of me. I think, no, you were still talking. I just jumped in. You know what you I'm did. like. Wait for a silence and fill it. That's how, um, that's, that's how you feel. <laughs> I know how you feel now. Sorry. The, <laughs> the, I think what we've looked at over the years is that the MCU didn't really hit this massive point of popularity until the Avengers in 2012. Mm. Before then, it was... Small, smaller movies ramping up, right? So yeah, I'm not surprised yeah, yeah. it kind of went under. But also, I think in everything that we've looked at when we've reached out to people and, and heard from uh, listeners about, and, and even when you look at the history of the box office and things, mm. the the hugely mm. negative reaction to Ang Lee's Hulk <laughs> from 2003 <laughs> created this bad taste in people's mouths, and they just... Uh, there was a lot of confusion as to whether this was a sequel. But even if it... I mean, it was just... Yeah. Damage had been done at the box office. Damage had been done in people's minds. So I'm not surprised that whilst you might have been enthused or excited by an Iron Man movie, you weren't for a second Hulk film. No, but you know what? But this point, 2023, 20 years after Hulk's come out, the amount of negativity I've, and, and, and and recently positivity, funnily enough, about the Angley's Hulk, the amount of negativity I've heard over the years just makes me really want to see it at this point. I really want to see this film. What tends to happen with these things, you see it with the Star Wars prequels and, yeah. and, and stuff like that, is that the people that were like grown-ups at the time, mm. right, that watched this movie uh, uh, on kind of like all the levels when it came out. Yeah. Hated it. <laughs> kids that were that were kids when it came out took on a surface level of fighting and action, right, mm. um, and powers and stuff. Same with the Star Wars prequels, mm. and enjoyed that. And then it becomes like a, um, a treasured memory of their childhood. Yeah. And then when they get older, they become passionate defenders oh. of the faith, insisting that the prequel trilogy is better than all the other Star Wars films. I, I work with a bunch of people in like this, and Angley's Hulk. The only reason it's enjoying any positivity now, I think, is because the people that were youngsters when it came out are now on Twitter. Do, do you <laughs> and know? You have to hear them. I, is it that, or is it people uh, not knowing how to adjust properly? And it's very binary choice. It's like every. I guess, hey, we all said this. This prequel trilogy was rubbish. Actually, it's not rubbish. It's just okay. But instead of going, oh, it's just okay. It's like, no, actually, we were wrong. It's a brilliant film, and they can't get that middle ground. I, I think it's actually um, a desperate... It's it is a reactionary thing. So yeah, the trilogy, I definitely. think what it is, is we want to be loud about how much we hate the new Star Wars films. <laughs> so we're, we're going to say the prequels are thunderously better. And I think Ang Lee's Hulk, I think there's a little bit of this thing of... of uh, I think like how a lot of the DC discourse starts off. There's backlash <sighs> from any MCU movie. Mm. So some of these people, these bad faith people on Twitter, go... Anything that was isn't MCU is amazing and better than. And so I just think that's a part of it. Yeah. So you weren't enthusiastic about this movie 2008. 2008? No, it's all about Batman, baby. And then I imagine the Avengers movie turns you around and got you interested in the character like it did the vast majority of people. It, it did. I mean, we'll talk more about that when we uh, ooh, remaster the Avengers, baby. But the thing is... Um, I always remember a friend of mine uh, enthusing, 
his name's Tim Shelton. I've mentioned him before. Funny lad. He's a good friend of mine. He um, he told me the bit from the Avengers. He said, oh, yeah, you've got to watch Avengers. You'll like it, Will. There's a bit where ACDC plays. And <laughs> he said the bit where Hulk smashes Loki and, is like, and then goes, puny god. And it's like, oh, that actually sounds really good. I'm warming to the Hulk hearing about the- that. That was like a viral moment yeah. without it going viral before viral. You know, yeah, there weren't like clips of it all over like there would be today. Oh, you Twitter. can say but it's viral. That, it's, it's anything that's post that, Cloverfield. You can say viral. It's fine. I, I, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think it's in the same way that we would understand it today. Okay, definitely. There were not Twitter now. I have Guardians of the Galaxy three has just come out. Oh, I am yeah. still battling. <laughs> Every time my timeline is open, there are goddamn spoiler clips on Twitter. Oh. It came out like a day ago. It's just, it's really difficult now. Whereas it wasn't in 2012. I think in 2012, had Twitter and stuff been the same, that that clip would have been all over TikTok, yeah. and Reels, yeah. and everything. It, it, it um, really was. By the way, when are you seeing Guardians of the Galaxy? We don't have time for any of this. We've got a lot of incredible <laughs> to deal with. Um, okay. We've got to stay on track. I'm sorry. Um, so when did you... Appro- like? So did you first see The Incredible Hulk for this podcast? Yes. I only watched it for this podcast. And... Yeah, as, as we'll as we'll go into, get pleasantly surprised. So Ed Norton is actually the second Hulk. I mean, Mark Ruffalo is your Hulk, isn't he? And then for you, when you eventually get round to seeing Incredible Hulk, you're kind of going back to Norton rather than through him. <laughs> I, I, you know what? They're both good boys. I love them like my own children. But Ed Norton brings something else to this. And I, I, I have a weird thing about Ed Norton. The way he's a very uh, highly paid actor but always seems to play the same person. And I always feel like he's the same person. He's not like a character actor or anything. He always has that same almost persona in anything he's in. He carries a similar energy, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I think, it's I think weird, there's, something, yeah. there's something kind of De Niro-esque and Pacino-esque about that. They mm. both got to certain points in their careers and just went, I'm not even going to try anymore. <laughs> I'm <laughs> it's like no Sean longer Connery. doing different characters. It's like Sean Connery not ever doing accents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Russian... Uh, Portuguese, it's all the same. It's all the same to Big Sean C. I've spent several months digging through the the Marvel archives to make sure I've done all my research for the comic book side of today's episode. What I have to do now is do a handprint into a special sensor that lights up a wall... A bank of screens <laughs> communicates with a satellite hovering high above London, which fires down a beam of energy into an unassuming flat, transforming Will Preston into Mr. Mr. Hollywood. <laughs> the man who will rake through the trash cans of Hollywood to bring us all the dirt on this movie Mr. Hollywood, what can you tell us about The Incredible Hulk? Hollywood smash! Anyway, yeah. (laughs) That's the only time I'll ever get to do that. Well, Rob, let us start. Let us start, as we tend to, with making sense of the dollars and cents. We'll first go back to Ang Lee's Hulk in 2003. The budget for that was $137 million. Box office, $245.4 million. So, not bad. Actually, that's fairly good. 
I don't say? know. I mean, well, what's we have different measures. Spider Man, Spider Man came out the year before mm. with a comparable budget and did eight hundred million. Yeah, but that's that's really good. That's really good. This is like you made money back. You made twice the money back. That's still all right. But but you always tell us you need three times the money back. Yeah, but then you said I was wrong, so I'm coming. Well, no, watching... I didn't. I said, where did you get that from? And okay. you said, I don't know. <laughs> okay, then, Rob. It's bad. They should feel but, uh, bad it, for not making more money. It, it is not considered a hit at the box office that is, at all. That is not a hit, but it's not a um, bomb. It's. Yeah. I think again, Hollywood is 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 also all about projections and expectations. Yes. When Spider-Man does 800 million mm. and the Hulk is a comparable character. Yeah. Oh, the God, Hulk yeah. is maybe a bigger character. It had the CBS series in yeah. the States and the cartoons, right? Uh, it's, it's recognizability in the US is probably on a par, if not a nudge higher than Spider-Man mm. to bring, to not bring back something over five or 600 million is, is, is not cool. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there. Absolutely right. And uh, then it gets a drumming co- uh, critically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good time for Ang Lee. Then you have uh, 2008, Iron Man. Just to compare, because it came out the same year as The Incredible Hulk. Budget, $140 million. Box office, $585.8 million. That's That's good. Big, a big success. A sleeper success as well because Iron Man is not like a major character. Exactly. That's so good. And the same year, we had The Incredible Hulk. On a similar budget, uh, we have 137.5 to 150 million, so a little similar. Box office, 264.8 million. It's like attempting the, you know, that, that definition of insanity. It feels like that. Yeah, it's not good compared to Iron Man. And, like, if you, if you put those two, like, nobody knows, virtually nobody knows who Iron Man is. No. Yeah. His movie pulls in five eight five. Every, like the Hulk is a much, it, but but some of that has got to be the the bad taste left over from the Ang Lee movie. I I agree. I think it must be. Which, as I said before, uh, makes me it's really want to see. I really want to see it now. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, yeah. But at the time, you just put, you didn't want to go to the cinema to see this. No, I I, I didn't really go to the cinema that much until. Uh, I just, no, until until I was in university, really college university, I started going a lot more. But no, I just didn't. wasn't a thing I I tended to do. I've just had to sign up for one of those, uh, you know, monthly passes. Cineworld or something, or yeah. Well, I'm not advertising them. One of them. But one yeah, of them. Every cinema has a monthly pass. Yeah, I I, I did um, that. But I looked ahead and I realised I've got Guardians coming out, yeah. and then there's Spider Verse, and then there's the Flash movie. Yeah. And this pass is cheaper than a single ticket. It's it's really good. I was telling you've my... got to commit. Sorry, you've got to commit to like three or four months though. So it's got to. Yeah, I... it's so expensive to go to the cinema now. I, my my local cinema is more expensive than ones in London. Oh yeah, what are you telling quid. me about this? Yeah, no, I I used to do it at uh, my my local one. I when I used to live uh, on the Isle of Dogs, I used to pop over to Canary Wharf and um, go to the cinema there. But what I did was I had one of those monthly passes, and then every, I'd go once a week. And I'd actively listen to Mark Kermode, Kermode, Kermode yeah. and Mayo, and they could say, hey, well, these are the films. And, and I go, oh, that sounds good. I'll go see that. I'll go see that. So I was basically listening to that, looking at other reviews, and then listing down films to see. And I'd see films I would have <clears> never <throat> seen 
and it was quite it's great great a, great experience as a younger man uh, before before these monthly passes existed i would do things very very similar with a the film theater yeah. and stuff like that i just don't have the time now anyway uh, please <laughs> proceed mr hollywood okay let's get down to the facts just the facts just the facts so first of all after the release of ang lee's hulk in 2003 screenwriter james shamu is it shamu or shamus do you think Shamus. Shamus. Oh, that's a good name. Was planning a sequel. Shamus said his script would further delve into Bruce Banner's epic struggle with his inner demons, resulting in the emergence of an evil grey-coloured Hulk. Shamus said he was toying with the idea of incorporating two possible villains. The leader, described by Lee as a giant head brainiac, and the abomination, a big ugly guy the same size as the Hulk. During the filming of Hulk, Producer Avi Arid had a target of May 2005 for the theatrical release of Hulk 2. On January 18, 2006, Avi Arid said Marvel Studios had reacquired the film rights to the Hulk from Universal Pictures because Universal had not met its deadlines for starting the next Hulk project. However, Universal still retained all distribution rights on any sequels. The way that movie rights tend to work is whilst you can buy the right to adapt something into a movie or a TV show, if you don't actually do anything with the rights yeah. and don't bring in any money, then the owner can just... There'll be a deadline set. Mm. If you don't meet the deadline, the rights revert. It's why you get odd little crap movies made from time to time to retain the rights. Like famously that um, Fantastic Four movie that uh, Roger Corman made with like <laughs> 30 quid. <laughs> which, which one are we on about? The uh, 1990s one? The only one Roger Corman made, yeah. I don't... Yeah, yeah. We were... Oh. I don't think we'll ever cover that. Anyway, this it, 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 it's a very interesting one. But let's talk about Universal Pictures and movie distributors. Let's get into that for a sec. In the movie industry, a distributor is, uh, is responsible for distributing the movie all across the world. They make deals with cinemas and are responsible for physically getting the movie to every single cinema. They're also responsible for the marketing and promotion of a film. So all the posters, trailers, adverts and media events are all created and paid for by the distributor and not the production company. Huge. It's a huge... It's like a whole other job. It's a huge, huge amount of expense. Yeah. It's you know, a... it can cost sometimes the same as the budget of the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. For major movies, this costs hundreds of millions of dollars. As a result of this, film distributors usually take 30% of every dollar earned at the box office. Oosh. Yeah. So... Because of this deal, if Marvel make a Hulk movie, then they have to share a hefty amount of money with Universal. Marvel had previously indicated that it was considering a direct-to-video release for Hulk 2, so as to cut Universal out of the deal completely and keep sneaky. all the money. Very sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. sneaky. Very sneaky. Marvel CEO Peter Cuneo recently said former... So, so former The X-Files star David Duchovny was a front-runner to replace Eric Banner in the film's title role. David Duchovny! Duchovny playing Bruce Banner. I can see it. Oh, I could just... Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I can, I, Especially in a, yeah. a direct-to-video offering. Yeah, yeah. I do have a soft spot for David Duchovny, but he's not exactly leading big film, leading man material, is he? Well, only... Uh, I mean, at the time, though... Fresh off the smash hit X Files series, yeah. he's got a big name. He's a bigger name than Eric Banner. That's true. You're absolutely right there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you've convinced Willie. <laughs> in 2004, Marvel enacted a plan to produce films independently. By using the rights to their characters as collateral, Marvel raised $525 million in Wall Street money to create Marvel Studios. In 2005, as it announced plans for its own slate of movies, with the Hulk being front and centre on that slate. Which makes sense, because it's... Yeah. The Hulk is the only big character. It they break- haven't got Spider-Man or the X-Men. Absolutely. It's, God, it must have been a weird time. But we, t- we spoke about it um, on the Iron Man Remastered episode when it was such a big risk they were taking. It really wasn't all or nothing. It was like... Completely. You, and it just... Go back to it. And now you have this successful franchise that's breaking in billions. Uh, and you're going, wow, this was a risk to begin with. Amazing. And the Hulk, like... It's great that Iron Man was a success, but the Hulk wasn't. Like they, they, they might not have made. They, they, yeah, they, they probably made their money back, but they didn't. They might not have made yeah. any money on this movie at all. No, no, mad. Speaking of why Marvel Studios decided to do uh, another Hulk movie so soon after the previous outing as one of its first production in two thousand and eight, Kevin Feige said, "Because the Hulk." Is Hulk a huge character for us? And next to Spider-Man, he's our most popular hero across the board. So it was a no-brainer to not wait more than five years to bring him back. In Louis Letterer, Letterer and Ed Edward Norton, we had a team. I think it's Letteria. Letteria. It looks like Terrier at the end. Yeah, I'm going to go with Letteria. Louis, I, I've, Louis I've, Letteria. I've mispronounced Kevin Fig Louis? Uh, too many times. What's a name, anyway? In Louis, in Louis uh, Leteria and Ed Norton, we had a team that was assembled that could really bring it to life in a way that people are anticipating. The film definitely delivers, and I'm very encouraged by the reaction we got to the footage. It couldn't be better, and it was right there on par with how it felt last year at Comic-Con San Diego when we unveiled Iron Man footage. It was a big deal being spoken about the in the comic book yeah. kind of community at the time on the message boards when they would drop those trailers at Comic Con. Yeah. Like it, it was the uh, I think the other movies it's kind of engaged. Mm. I'm not, but I don't think we ever got like a Spider Man. Maybe we did. Maybe they were smart enough. But it felt like the for, for me, it felt like the beginning of major studios engaging with Comic Con directly. Mm. Um, and using it as the first kind of step to get a lot of buzz out. Yeah, yeah, it makes absolute makes absolute sense. It's weird when you think about these trailers dropping at the time, and it's like, oh my god, it's amazing. And now the trailers dropping, it's like, oh good, that looks good. I'll go see that. It's like it's a big deal back then because it's like the, the, it's just the beginning of the deluge of superhero movies, basically. But also, you couldn't see it unless you were there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> when it drops at Comic Con in two thousand eight, you hear about it. That's it. Yeah. To see a trailer, you've got to go to another movie. Oh. You can't watch it on YouTube, on your phone, on Twitter. You can't do... Like now, I sit on the toilet and I watch a new trailer on YouTube on my phone while I'm waking up. I you, think you, If you wanted to see a trailer, you had to go to a movie. I, I, I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer at my staff Christmas party while I was having a poo. There we go. There see? we go. Yeah, it's, it's there's something about the slide <laughs> as it becomes more ubiquitous and it becomes everywhere. Yeah. There's a slide in how much you hold these things in regard and yeah. and think about them. Yeah, mad. 
Talking about preparing to direct the film, Letaria said, When they offered me Hulk, I went to a comic book store and was looking for back issues of the Hulk, and I'd seen most of them. But something that really stuck out for me was Hulk Grey by Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb. And I took it and I loved it. It was amazing. So when I looked at this, I thought this was beautifully graphic, truly poetic. A simple, beautiful story for the whole family. So that's what I wanted to do. Marvel knew they wanted to revive Hulk and they wanted to use animation. The rest was for me to figure out. So starting with Zack Penn, we crafted a story, made it ours, finding different ideas from comic books and trying to compile them in one big story and then Zach had to do his movie The Grand so he left and Edward who we were seeing as an actor said I write screenplays so I asked if he could do the last draft and he said no problem mad it's hard to find like a definitive reason as to why Ed Norton was squeezed out of um, the MCU yeah there does seem to be issues around him being involved as a writer and it it seems like it's a personality clash kind of deal he he does strike me as someone who would definitely clash on personality let's just mm. let's just put it that way in april 2006 norton began discussions to play banner and arranged a deal that included him as both an actor and a writer with a screenplay draft he was contractually obliged to turn in within a month so he did so and continued to polish his draft as late as halfway through principal photography Ultimately, the Writers Guild of America decided to credit the script solely to Zach Penn, who argued Norton had not dramatically changed his script. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, he must have been a member. I, I always thought it was because Ed Norton is not a member of the Writers Guild of America, mm. so he couldn't receive a credit. Um, but I guess, yeah, to actually to even work on a, on a, on a draft formally with a contract, you'd yeah. have to be. So I, I reckon yeah. there that there was not a dodgy contract, but there was some maybe ambiguity or something wasn't clearly laid out. Maybe. Maybe. When further questioned about the future of Marvel movies, Feige responded, We do have a game plan, but the game plan is based on box office, of course, so we'll see how it is. We're encouraged about the hype for Iron Man, encouraged about the buzz for Hulk. So if the summer goes as planned, you'll probably see the next two probably at the end of 09 or definitely 2010 with Universal and Paramount, they're distributing films for us. We're producing them wholly ourselves. With Fox, they produce the X-Men series. With Sony, they produce the Spider-Man series in partnership with us. But it's been great relationships. We've been very lucky to work with the best studios around. They would, like, that would vanish yeah. so quickly. The, it's um, weird reading that, because it's like, oh boy, this ain't going to end well. It's because well, oh, Marvel is an independent movie studio. Yeah. Um, Paramount was their distributor for everything except for the Hulk. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then they get gobbled up, and everything changes. You know, yeah. Disney come along, and, uh, and yeah. yeah. Well, Disney have got their own company for that, I guess. D Disney have a money printing machine, Rob. They have a money printing machine. <laughs> they 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 can do it. I'm I'm really surprised they haven't snatched all the rights back from all the other companies and gone. You 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 shut up. We're taking that. I'm really surprised. Well, but it's all to do with contracts. So, oh, con yeah, true. Ah, contracts. Ah, contract. <laughs> who needs who needs contracts and ethics and goodwill when you're Disney? <laughs> what what is what is left for them? Sp well, the okay, Spider Man. The Spider Man and the Hulk, basically. Oh right. Well, yeah, they, yeah the the distribution. Right, yeah, yeah, which allegedly expire 
in the next few years, I think. Yeah. Uh, ah, I might get on. If I remember right, I, I, we might get on to that. Speaking about the 2008 film, screenwriter Zach Penn said, To me, the thing about Bruce is that he's a physicist. He's a super smart guy who has a lot of repressed anger. To me, that is the essential thing you need to know about him. He could be tall or short, but you have to believe that he's a physicist. You have to believe that guy is frustrating f for him physically. Ed Norton went to Yale. He's a really smart guy. He has an intelligence that you can see on screen, which a lot of people who are great actors don't project that. He projects the guy that is smarter than you, and he also projects the anger in a lot of movies. Uh, Fight Club being the most obvious example. If you think about Fight Club, he has a lot of similarities to the Hulk as a character. Tyler Durden is his Hulk. It, it definitely harkens back much more to that, emphasising a guy on the run with a secret who cannot feel emotion and cannot risk having any close relationships with people for fear what it's going to do to them. The first movie is not about Bruce Banner dealing with the repercussions of being the Hulk, it's much more about him becoming the Hulk. He gets taken to a base and put obs under observation pretty quickly. This movie is about Bruce Banner on the run and what life is like. The first movie he's referring to is the Ang Lee movie. Ang, Ang Lee, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Mark Ruffalo cannot play this Bruce Banner. He can't. He cannot do it. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of Gruffalo bashing in this episode, I feel. I, I don't think it's... No, I it's... I think he's a... He's a poor choice for this character. He really is. I like him in lots of other things. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I'm not crawling out my skin thinking how rubbish he is when I see it, but ugh, it's not, it's they're, they're not portraying. Maybe that's it. They, they immediately went, we don't want Bruce Banner to be a, um, you know, a frustrated fugitive on the run anymore. He's going to be a very happy, settled guy who lives in Avengers Tower or whatever it is. Okay. He's a, he becomes a pet. <laughs> we'll get, actually, we, I think we will get onto that in a bit. When asked about the movie's status as a sequel or a reboot, Penn said, It's not going to be a sequel, but it's hard to describe. The best description, I would say, is something like Batman Begins, where it's not necessarily out of continuity with the other movies. Yes, though, it is. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> 100% is. You're wrong, you're yeah, stupid. Yeah, you're I... Wrong, Penn. <laughs> this is one of those things where I read a quote and you go, What is he saying? You go... And this one, even as I'm reading it and going, I can't hold a straight face while reading this. This, this, is, around the, this is around the time mm -hmm. when... I remember this distinctly. People did not know mm. what, like, sequels were being called reboots. When yeah. And, and, like, there was just a lot of market confusion about a lot of these things. Like, this is, this is the, yeah, so Batman Begins is kind of like the first time we're getting a reboot of an established franchise. Yeah. So we're not used to it yet. It's yeah, right. It's not a thing where people in, go, oh, oh, what? What is it called? A reboot? What does that even mean? Mm. Oh well, it's just a different version of the like. It's not in people's lexicon. It's not in their minds. Like people, people were just, just you know, being exposed to it with Batman Begins. I mean, the North and then the Hulk very quickly. The noughties were the decade. Was the decade of the gritty reboot, wasn't it? The gritty reboot was a thing that happened so much in it. Was it? I felt it was. I can't think of anything other than those two. Oh, I. Let's move on. <laughs> like, but if you I'm feel so, it, I mean, I feel you, it. Was, I really feel it was. It, it became the gritty reboot. I remember being such a term back in the late noughties, early tens. I can't think of any though. 
I, I swear there's others. I think I think a lot of it. I actually I think a lot of it was to do with video games. Sorry, video uh, okay. games. It was it was the gritty reboot was a thing that happened anyway. But I, I can understand. There's this thing of of people just don't and, and people wanted to know and it was frustrating to people. I I've heard an awful lot um, of reaction to this movie of people. Be going into it annoyed and saying this movie didn't know what it was going to be a sequel or a reboot yes it did it does it knows all the way through but i think the audience at the time yeah. didn't know they weren't they weren't they didn't have a clear idea of where it was going or of is this meant to be a follow-on or what and they didn't know what a reboot was so many of them i so think, I think that builds a lot of problems i think that the problem the problem is is it's is too soon after hulk you're yeah. rebooting a character within five years, which is just mad. Uh, it happens work, now, but work, work, worked worked for Spider Man. Don't get me wrong; it worked for Spider Man. But yeah, this uh, yeah, I, I didn't know what to think. I thought it was a sequel at the time as well. I didn't re- realize it was a reboot until I actually watched the thing. Anyway, I will continue. It's much more of a reboot. The way that Aliens is a sequel to Alien. I don't understand what he's saying. What does that mean? He's just saying words, Rob. But the kinds of movies are different. It keeps the mythology of the worlds, but it's a totally different structure. It's more of an action movie than the first one was. This one is more of a thriller, I would say. Norton explained his decision to ignore Lee's uh, origin story. Oh, sorry, that's not, is that part of the... Anyway, Norton explained his decision to ignore Lee's origin story. I don't even like the phrase origin story, and I don't think in great literature and great films that explaining the roots of the story means it comes in the beginning. Audiences know this story, so deal with it artfully. Hmm. I think I put a quote within a quote there. <laughs> Maybe. Matter. But it make, it all ties into the same thing. It's talking about what this movie is. Yeah, what's this what's this movie's place and everything in the bigger picture? What is it? It, it this it feels like n- no one's really sure what it is. But they, they, I just yeah. I just I think I think they know. They just don't have the language and mm. they don't they aren't able to say to the audience this is a reboot because yeah. the audience is then going to go, "We don't know what that means." <laughs> it's like Batman Begins. Oh, we don't know what that was about. Why why where mm. was where was um Val Kilmer. Where was Val- Where was he? Val skipping over Clooney, forgetting about Keaton. Kill. I liked. I did actually like Kilmer as Batman. Yeah, yeah. The character of Samuel Stearns, played by Tim Blake Nelson, was introduced to set him up as a villain in a possible future film where he would become the leader. Did you uh, say on social media? Apparently, he's returning. Or are we going to talk yeah, about oh, that yeah, later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's yeah. definitely he's um. Him and Liv Tyler are in uh, Captain America: New World Order, playing Fan. those roles. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic! And you've got to assume William Hurt would have been as well, because the Thunderbolt Ross is in it. But of course, they've had to do a recast there. He's going to be played by 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 Harrison Ford in his mumbly voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ah, we'll see how it goes. He's he's gonna look so fed up. <laughs> I, I, I I like Sam Elliott in that role. But I'm a big Sam Elliott fan. Oh, Sam Elliott would be gold. I know he was. I never obviously haven't seen a Hulk, haven't seen Hulk, but I know he's uh, Thunderbolt Ross in that. But oh god, I love Sam Elliott. Anyway, The Incredible Hulk earned fifty five point four million on its opening weekend. This surpassed industry expectations of a forty five million dollar uh, opening, following the disappointing response to Fu's two thousand three film. The review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes reported an approval rating of 67% with an average score of 6.2.10. 
based on 238 reviews. 6.2 out of 10. 6.2 out of 10, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Metacritic gave the film an average score of 61 out of 100 based on 38 critics, indicating generally favourable reviews. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of A- on the A plus to F scale. So, not bad. Not bad reviews there. They're not great reviews. No, not great. Well, apart from Cinema scores, like going, this is almost perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm not rushing out my house to see a, you know, a a six out of ten. But I I don't think it's a six out of ten movie. I think it scores much higher for me. But I think it. I think it's a seven or eight. I think it's well. uh, Of the Phase Four crop, it's better than Thor by uh, a leap and a mile. Out of the phase one crop, you mean? Sorry, that's what. What did I say? Four. Oh yeah, out of the phase one crop. Phase one. Oh yeah, it's better than Thor. better than Thor better by Thor. by by head and shoulders. Um, yeah, but the rest. And I, I, I think it's better than Thor, but the rest, it's it doesn't beat. No, yeah, but yeah. it's still it's still not like it's a terrible movie. No, it's not. Leteria and Roth were originally contracted, uh, sorry, it's Tim Roth, were originally contracted to return for a sequel. Leteria also stated Norton was not signed on, but in October 2008, Heard stated that uh, Norton was contracted to reprise the role. The film had outgrossed its predecessor and Universal indicated interest in a sequel, though Leteria believed a sequel <laughs> would not be made because of the film's box office return. Right. Yeah. Universal are obviously interested. So Universal made all made their money from this movie mm. because, as we said before, distributors get paid first. <laughs> distributors are virtually always going to make their money. Yeah, right? not not virtually always, but they get paid before the production company does. Mm. So the the fact that it you know made made that money, yeah, of course Universal want to go again. It's whether Marvel would want to go again and take another risk on losing their production budget. Yeah, yeah, God. In April 2012, despite Ruffalo being on board to play, uh, Mark Ruffalo being on board to play the Hulk in the sequel, Feige confirmed that Marvel had no plans at that time to film another Hulk film. Ultimately, Marvel Studios would not make another solo Hulk film, despite him prominently featuring in other MCU movies like The Avengers and Thor. In, in 2009, Marvel Studios was acquired by Disney, who have their own massive film distribution company. Disney was not keen to make a Hulk movie and have to share any profits with Universal Pictures. And Universal would not give up the rights to distribute a Hulk movie, so the character found itself in limbo between two big corporations. Oof. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of a little bit slightly more complicated than that, in that I, don't, I also don't think there's a, a big rush from Marvel to take that risk and that gamble again with another Hulk movie. Yeah, we'll get on to that. In in September 2012, Feige, while exploring all possible story options for a sequel film, including a film based on the Planet Hulk and World War Hulk storylines, stated all stories from the comics were on the table and that the character could carry a movie and be as entertaining as he was in The Avengers. Talking about this, Feige said, I don't think there's a lot that we couldn't do someday as the cinematic universe continues to grow and expand and get as big as the comic book universe. Planet Hulk is a cool story. World War Hulk is a cool story. Do I think Hulk can carry a movie and be as entertaining as he was in The Avengers? I do believe that. I do believe he absolutely could. We certainly are not going to attempt that until our Avengers 2. In October 2014, Feige gave an update on places for the Hulk in the MCU. 
Well, I wouldn't say he's absent from the timeline. I'd say Hulk is going to appear in many of those movies, particularly all those Avengers movies leading up to 2019 and Infinity War. Mark Ruffalo is on board for those for all those films, and we're excited to bring him to those films. What happens with a standalone Hulk film? I'll only say what I would have said about Backpack for last week, or Captain Marvel the week before that, or Doctor Strange the week before that, or Guardians of the Galaxy two years ago, or Ant-Man ten years ago. We'll see. We'd love to do it. We'd love to find a place to put it. But right now, Hulk will be appearing with his friends in their films. Feige is a master at... Like giving, <laughs> like saying nothing, uh, but, <laughs> yes, but making it, it sound yeah. like he's he's agreeing with you. Like because that's what's happened is he gets interviewed by geeks and nerds a lot who are like, "I mean, David, do you think there's going to be a, a Planet Hulk movie or a World War Hulk movie?" And he's like, "Are those cool stories? Yeah." And then he goes on and on and on about what a great character is, and 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 but then he's essentially saying anything could happen. <laughs> we don't know, but also right now, no. The guy could be a politician. He yeah, could absolutely yeah. run for president well, with that. Those CEO gift. roles are political roles. Yeah. You've got to be uh, good at it again. Yeah. Very, very. I, I absolutely, it absolutely, not angers me, but it does dis- displease me when people are able to do that, get away with saying nothing at all, but, you know, like that. Mm. But at the same time, I do, I, I, I do marvel at that gift because it's like, it's. It's it's you know people who actually do it they actually do it well not yeah. not not slip up anyway according to the Hollywood Reporter a potential reason why Hulk was not reacquired has not reacquired the film distribution rights to the Hulk as they did with Paramount Pictures for Iron Man Thor and Captain America films is that Universal holds the theme park rights to several Marvel characters that Marvel's parent company Disney wants for its own theme parks that's that's nonsense that's uh, just. Uh... Uh, like, like, how could that be any kind of consideration? That sounds like something that's not holding something back. That sounds like something that that, that maybe like they didn't get around to sorting out. That sounds like you know you, they do understand that they, it's not like don't, people don't line up and pay a fiver to go on that ride. <laughs> it's built as part of a park. Yeah, like it's an attraction within a park. The amount of money, like um, it's an attraction and people go to them, but uh, the. Uh, uh, I just think there's just general disagreement and bad blood between the two companies. Yeah, it really does sound like that. Finally, by August 2022, reports believed it was possible Marvel Studios would regain the distribution rights to the character from Universal in 2023, Rob, this very year. This was due to U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filings from Marvel Entertainment that indicated Universal had agreed to distribute the Incredible Hulk under the same terms Marvel agreed to do to with Paramount, which held distribution rights for 15 years from its first release. Let's take a look at what was happening in the world of 2008 when the Incredible Hulk hit the screens for the very uh, first... Well, I guess this was the first time, but it was, you know, as we discussed, uh, not the first time for Hulk taking a bite of the apple. Uh, Barack Obama won the 2008 uh, US election. Yes, he did. Um, but, of course, wouldn't be inaugurated until the following year. Um, and then there was the financial <laughs> collapse of 2008. Um one of many I've lived through. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, once-in-a-lifetime events or once-a-generational events that happen seem to happen every few years now. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way of excusing to people why you haven't done very well. Like people go, like, what are you doing? Are you, how are you doing? And you go, oh, well, for a, for a while, I would say, oh, well, you know, financial crisis happened. Mm. And then that 
evaporated. But then, luckily, there was another one around the corner. So, oh, you know, you used to be kept on your toes, I think. The Large Hadron Collider uh, mm. was turned on. Um, and uh, Brangelina have twins. Oh, are we still doing that? Are we still combining no, celebrity couples? Very that much was... a, a 2000s thing, wasn't it? Thank God we stopped doing that. Um, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie. And Britney Spears made a comeback. Yes. Um, sort of. Yeah. Uh, uh, she was, it was a custody battle. She was... Uh, was she hospitalized? She wasn't. Mm. She wasn't sectioned, but it was hospitalized with something yeah. or other, um, and uh, brought out a new album called Circus. Of course, as we know now, she yeah. was still. It was. I think that that was maybe the beginning of her troubles. God, um, because once she was hospitalized, I think that's when her uh, nefarious family members took over, yeah. like control of her life and everything. It was one um, of those things where, at the time, like. People were like sort of kind of making fun of the whole thing, and you know, as, as oh, we completely, did. completely. And then, when and then, she was when she had a shaved head, yeah, and she's smashing up a car with an umbrella and looks like a you know a, a football soccer hooligan. Yeah, um, that was a mad wild time. Oh, and, and yeah, people were like you know looking at it as like ah, celebrities being mad, and then you then then now you look at the back at that and you have all this new information and you just feel ashamed of yourself for even thinking that it's like, God. God, we what it's, it's, the, the, the 2000s were a very mean spirit. Was a very mean spirited decade. They were very driven, weren't they, by this kind of new breed of paparazzi that was kind of online <sighs> paparazzi and a lot of like TMZ and yeah. and stuff like that. Where and I think shows like Jersey Shore and all that they kind of yeah. all played into this um, following people with cameras and making fun of what they do, right? Um, and I it's, think yeah. kind of we, we went from like TV shows with people who signed up for that to happen to just following celebrities and doing the same thing. <sighs> uh, a wild, yeah. wild time. Mm. Um, the top singles of 2008, uh, uh, <laughs> Viva La Vida by Coldplay. And I will say now, that's one, That's I think it's the first one that I can't conjure in my head. I can't think what that sounds like. I actually went through the first four Coldplay albums because I went, you know what? People say they're boring. I'm going to give them a go. And... There's some good stuff, but they're mostly boring. Viva La Vida was actually a pretty good album, though. Uh, for, but I can't single. remember the song. I, oh, right. I can't conjure the single, but I remember going, uh, that's all right, I guess. Take a Bow by Rihanna, which I think is perhaps, I mean, I, I guess it's a big seller. It's not mm. one I would immediately go to listen to. I don't, I don't, I'm not think, I'm not sure I enjoy slow Rihanna songs. That's fair. Um, uh, Just Dance by Lady Gaga. <sighs> June. Massive. June. Absolutely massive. That's her first. I think that was her first. Maybe maybe she had smaller songs, but this is her first like big, big, big. It's the first song I knew her from. Um, well, Poker Face was the one I remember. Uh, I yeah, but I think Poker Face is next. Oh, okay. I might be wrong. I might be wrong on that one. I'm maybe misremembering the timeline. <laughs> God, that was a good song. <laughs> is there a song? I'm confused. Misremembering the timeline. Is there a? That, that, that's that, that's me, not a reference to anything. That's another way of me saying forgetting the past. Okay, right, cool. I thought there was some sort of Lady Gaga timeline reference I didn't get, and no, I was no, like, no, "Oh, no. is that an album she did or something?" That's um, the uh, Lady Gaga extended universe. I kissed a girl by Katy Perry, uh, which was a that was a that was again. It was this huge. The two thousands was it was a huge huge song, but it was this sort of thing of. <laughs> Obviously, there's there's still no true full acceptance of the LGBTQ uh, people, mm. um, but I think the 2000s it was very much this. We were all sort of uh, embracing this thing of like um, 
kind of like lesbianism as this kind of like but from the male gaze and this kind yeah. of like it's cool and it's fun and it's sexy and it's and it's interesting and it's different. Well, well, um, do you we can, like we could never show it on TV before, but now we can. <laughs> Let's look at it all the time, but only from a male gaze. Yeah, it, do you remember the Eurovision Song Contest where a tattoo won it and they were dressed up as schoolgirls and sort of I almost kissed? I don't think that was Eurovision Song Contest. That was a massive number one single they had. Oh, I swear it was. I I thought it was Eurovision. I they think did. they may have engaged in something with Eurovision. Yeah, but that was just their number one hit single, um, and it was huge. I was at, uh, I think even I think when I was knocking around university, yeah, uh, my friend who was gay um, was massively into that band and that song, and it was. I think it was like kind of the first glimpses of kind of like big TV mm. kind of um, recognition for a, for a lot of gay people. Yeah, um, and so what by Pink? I've never been a Pink fan. Um, I. I think there's like one or two pink songs I, I know, and it's like, eh, it's all right. It's got it's got that kind of almost Joanne Jet energy to it, but not really. It's kind of pop rock ish, you know, attitudey, noughties. Yeah, it's, it just it feels like a lot of things in a blender. You keep going. I wonder how, I gonna, how, when that was going to end. <laughs> no one, Rob. No one knows when it's going to end. Uh, 2008 is the year that the Wire aired its <sighs> final episode as Breaking Bad airs its first episode. Um, passing it. Oh, actually, no, I won't say Passing of the Torch. Breaking Bad is not in the same tier as the Wire. I've had so many arguments, but we talked. We talked about this uh, season five, probably the least best <laughs> season of the Wire. But what a finale! What a final episode! Probably the least. I don't. What, what, well, so people, you, people, you mean the worst? Is what you mean? The I least best. I don't want to say the worst because that sounds okay. bad, uh, and I do I, actually I quite like season five. I love season five; it's great. I just wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't have said it. <laughs> I don't know. Why. Mm. I just said, I, you know, it was a great ending. It was great, a great ending. Great ending. I, the, the way that episode starts and it's just Mayor Carcetti being speeches, going, "I don't know what to say." <laughs> it's just perfect. Um, the Breaking Bad was 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 really. I think it was one of the shows, especially in this country, mm. it drove so many of us to Netflix because it was like the yeah. only way to be able to see it unless you're waiting yes. for DVDs. Yeah. Um, it was also uh, the year that we had a uh, the Writers Guild of America strike um, roughly came to an end in 2008. <laughs> oh, I hope that doesn't happen again. Launching into the middle of another one. <laughs> and people people talk about how the end of that strike led to this like golden age of television. Oh. Um, and... Uh, you know, as writers got their demands met. Um, in movies, we take a look at the top five movies of the year. The Dark Knight. Um, incredible. What what year is Batman Begins released? Oh, 2005, I think it was, yeah. And The Dark Knight, in, um, which uh, it only makes uh, $530 million in this year, but it goes on to be a billion dollar, mm. the first billion dollar superhero movie. Yeah. Um, Iron Man, uh, the same year, which rakes in over three hundred and eighteen million. Um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom <laughs> of the Aliens and the something or the Crystal Skull, uh, the third highest grossing movie of the year. Oh boy, I, I enjoyed parts of that. Yeah, movie, same, but same. But it, it was, it felt like a mess. I'm holding my breath for the next one. I'm holding my breath. What really annoyed me is that because of American accents and the sound in the cinema. Yeah, I thought, um, is it Shia LaBeouf? Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. His, his character, I thought they were calling him Mud for the whole movie. <laughs> M-U-D. <laughs> right? <laughs> if I'd known from the get-go they were calling him Mutt, yeah. it would have been so obvious that he's Indy's son. 
because yeah. you're named after the dog, right? We named but the dog they, I thought, Indiana. I thought we were called. I thought he was called Mud. <laughs> was like, you were named you know, after whatever. the dog. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, Hancock <laughs> is the. I'm amazed Hancock <laughs> makes this much money. The fourth highest grossing film of 2008. Will Smith as a drunk superhero. There's there's a um, film that didn't know what it wanted to be. It started off as quite a novel idea for a comedy. Ended up being a quite a bland superhero film, like a proper action drama kind of. It was very peculiar. Yeah. Um, and Wally, which is a really great film, uh, rounding out the top five. Mm. Um, in Marvel Comics, um, the Marvel Universe still reeling from the events of the Civil War and the death of Captain America, uh, the world faces a terrifying new reality. Mm. Tony Stark replaces Nick Fury as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., demanding that all superheroes surrender to the government and go to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, superheroes like Spider-Man, Luke Cage, Doctor Strange and Wolverine are outlaws on the run for refusing to obey Tony Stark's mm. orders. Um, <laughs> in the middle of this chaos, <laughs> the secret invasion of the Skrulls begins. Um, oh, when we get the TV show soon. Mm, that'll be interesting. Oh, I can't it, won't wait. Be on, it won't be on a par with the comic book event, which was something else. Um, In space, the Kree Empire is attacked by the forces of Ultron, kicking off the Second Annihilation War, during which Stardard leads a band of doomed rebels in what would eventually become the Guardians of the Galaxy. And that comic book is published for the first time. That iteration Mm -hmm. of the team is published for the first time. Is that Dan Abnett? Abnett and Lanning, yeah. Dan Abnett and Lanning, yeah. Yeah. Cool. and after the Scarlet Witch eradicated millions of mutants at the end of House of M, the mutants are teetering on the brink of extinction when a new baby is miraculously born. A war breaks out between desperate mutant factions over who will control this new and powerful baby in an event called Messiah Complex. Um, and by the end of the year, Tony Stark, <laughs> Nick Fury, they would no longer run S.H.I.E.L.D., Instead, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, would become an American hero and replace Tony Stark as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., forming his own twisted version of the Avengers. Let's take a little trip behind the page now as we look into the beginnings and the origins of The Incredible Hulk. And how it all nearly completely fell apart, and we nearly did not get this enduring character. We ne- a char- this character nearly will did mm. not last a year. Oof. Um, the Hulk first appears in 1962 in a story in in in, in his own comic book, unlike Spider Man, who appeared in Amazing Fantasy and stuff, um, and and um, Iron Man, who didn't appear in his own series for a long time. The Hulk first appears in The Incredible Hulk issue one in 1962, um, written by um, Stan Lee. Um, although the plot co-plotted, the storyline was coming up with by Jack Kirby and Stanley, uh, penciled by Jack Kirby as well, and inked by Paul Reinman. Mm. In his 1974 book, Origins of Marvel Comics, Stanley says about the beginnings of Hulk, it was painfully apparent that the monster character, the Thing, was the most popular character we had in the Fantastic Four. For a long time, I've been aware of the fact that most people were more likely to favour someone who was less than perfect. It's a safe bet that you remember Quasimodo. 
But how easily can you name any of the heroic, handsome, more glamorous characters in The Hunchback of Notre Dame? And then there's Frankenstein. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Frankenstein monster. No one could ever convince me that he was the bad guy. He never wanted to hurt anyone. He merely groped his torturous way through a second life trying to defend himself, trying to come to terms with those who sought to destroy him. I decided I might as well borrow from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as well. Our protagonist would constantly change from his normal identity to his superhuman alter ego and back again. Now, we have this, it's very clear if you read the first couple of issues of this Hulk story, mm. there is no attempt for this to be a superhero. Oh, Superhero okay. didn't really even sort of, the Marvel superhero didn't really exist yet. The Hulk is the second character. It's, is it more like tales of peculiarness and whatnot? It's yeah, it's like yeah. what 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 they were doing in the fifties was mm. Atlas Comics, which it was sci-fi stories with aliens and monsters, right? And transistors, and transistors. <laughs> well, they hadn't done the transistors yet in the fifties. Oh, sorry. Like, yeah, so yeah. when the Fantastic Four come along, they're the first. They recognise the first Marvel characters of the mm. Marvel, the new Marvel age of the sixties. But they don't wear superhuman superhero costumes. And they don't fight crime. They're they're fighting monsters and mad scientists, just like a lot of adventurers did in the 50s we we don't yet have spider-man and we don't yet have the avengers and we don't yet have this kind of idea of superheroes hank pym is doesn't have a costume and a secret identity yet he's the guy that shrunk himself down and fought a bunch of ants um the hulk is very much kind of like a monster story in the beginning mm. um and we see that in the months kind of leading up to the the, the launch of, of this Incredible Hulk comic issue one. Jack Kirby alongside Stan Lee and Larry Lieber, who is Stan Lee's brother. Stan Lee's name is Stan Lieber, but he has a stage name of Stan Lee. Ah, uh, um, right. His brother never bothers with that. His brother is just Larry Lieber. Um, I believe the full name is Liebovich, but you know how, how a lot of Jewish people who were forced to and pressured to um, after the, um, the the rise of fascism around the world to yeah. sort of. Um, anglicize or perhaps their, their names and mm -hmm. kind of make them a bit more um, Anglo-Saxon. Um, anyway, uh, Kirby, Lee, and Lieber had been producing a series of like one-off stories featuring monsters um, to society, threats to mankind. Um, all of them borrowing heavily from the monster films, the feature films of the of kind of the late fifties, early sixties. Kirby worked on a bunch of stories that revolved around the notion of a regular person transformed temporarily into a raging monster. Um, one of these stories called The Midnight Monster that appeared in Journey into Mystery um, inspired Jack Kirby to put forth the idea that rather than... He, he, basically, he was sick of having to invent a brand new monster every month. <laughs> It was like, why don't we just invent one? And it's the story is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and it's a poor sap who keeps turning into a monster. That way, I don't have to keep creating a new goddamn monster every month. <laughs> and do a series about just that guy. Mm. Um, and that seemed to uh, get the interest of a bunch of people. But by 1962, there was also a real boom in monsters happening in, in pop culture. B-movies built around strange monster menaces were a regular feature at the uh, drive-ins across America um, and the grindhouse theatres. The release 
like a, a bunch of the old classic universal horror films, the black and white films, mm. they were packaged up and sold to television um, broadcasters in syndication. So there'd be an awful lot of like late night movies that were Frankenstein, The Wolfman, um, all those kind of Dracula. There, there was a, just a big surge in, in a craze of um, monster movies and monster characters um, in America. This led to the publication of a very successful magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland. Um, which was a, a magazine that had articles, um, lots of publicity stills, graphic artwork on horror movies mm. um, from right from the siren era right up to the, the, uh, the, the 50s and 60s. Um, and that, it was aimed exclusively at like adolescents and young teenagers, and it worked massively. It was so popular, it spawned numerous competitors that I've that ran for decades, and I've heard of Fangoria, um, Cinefantastique, yes. Monster Times, mm. as well as inspiring thousands of homemade monster fanzines um, about all these creatures. So this seemed like a great area in which to launch. You know why shouldn't Marvel get a cut of that of that money that's sloshing around at newsstands? So Stanley Jack Kirby come up with the Bruce Banner character, who would be transformed into an unstoppable grey-skinned monster. Now I think it's I, I, a lot of people. The biggest trivia about about the Hulk is that when he first appeared, his skin was grey. I was literally just about to say, wasn't it? Because yeah, what you're about to say now. Yeah. It's been widely reported mm. that the Hulk was coloured grey in his first appearance in either a mistake or a case of poor judgment. Stanley's even given interviews, quite modern interviews, where he says, I wanted the character to be grey so it wouldn't look like any ethnic group. Love Stanley. <laughs> He's quite big on he's quite big on that kind of thing. Like yeah. he, he like he really likes the idea that Spider Man has this full like is covered head to toe. Mm. So that anyone of any ethnicity or appearance can imagine themselves to be Spider-Man. Yeah. This is, of course, not as good as creating a black character or a or or an obviously you know Indian character or but whatever it's the sixties. But yeah. he, he whether that is true or not, because Stanley is a carnival barker and a PR man, right? <laughs> it's a thing that he kind of I think to me it's a thing that he kind of thinks will people will applaud so he says it mm. right i think the idea that the hulk is gray because it's a it's it's kind of like the the human being from community um <laughs> and they're definitely trying to what a reference a shade, a shade that there's no actual ethnicity oh. it becomes so bland because i don't want to pick a lane yeah comic book historian and frequent jack kirby collaborator greg theakston believes that that is kind of nonsense. And that given how hugely popular the black and white universal monster movies were at mm. that time, they were all in black and white, which meant that all the monsters were grey in colour. Ah, okay. And so it was oh. done to make the Hulk look like how everyone watching television saw Frankenstein, grey. That's something else. That mm. is mad. Uh, colorist Stan Goldberg mm. um, had problems with the grey colouring. There's something to do with the way that the printing presses at the time couldn't keep a consistent grey colour in the comics. Like, from panel to panel and page to page, 
There were the Hulk in the issue one was different shades of grey and even green in one panel. <laughs> like that's just what the printing press did to the colour. Um, after seeing the inconsistency with the with the with the with the depiction of the Hulk, it was a real problem. Yeah. So Stanley opted to change the colour allegedly. Well, sorry, I don't know about this bit. The decision is made to change the colour of the Hulk's skin to a colour that the printing press can reproduce consistently, and they pick green. Okay. That being said, mm. The Incredible Hulk sold horribly. Really not good. Oof. They were very bad right from the beginning. So, giving this drab grey character a new eye-catching green colour on the front cover could also have been, and seems to me to have been, a strategy to grab the attention of potential readers. I'm not ah. disputing Stan Goldberg saying grey is an issue with the printing presses, but I also think going for such a bold, bright green colour was probably, uh, we need to jazz this up because <laughs> this is real bad. Um, in fact, sales are so bad of The Incredible Hulk that Marvel decide to change the format of the comic immediately. The first few issues of The Hulk are not a superhero story, really. They're a monster story. The Hulk is the antagonist causing all the problems, while Bruce Banner, in the moments where he's just Bruce Banner, is trying to save the day along with his plucky teenage sidekick, Rick Jones, who mm. is a big part of his origin. Sales aren't good. So suddenly, a sci-fi thing happens that means the Hulk becomes mind-linked to the teenage sidekick, Rick Jones. The Hulk, in effect, becomes a mindless robot operated by Rick Jones and subject to all his commands, allowing cool, hip teenager Rick Jones to go on exciting adventures controlling the Hulk's powerful body. <laughs> that was the new format of the Hulk, because the first one wasn't working. But sales still aren't good. So Hulk, Marvel decided to change the format again. Rick decide, Rick Jones like exposes the Hulk to additional gamma radiation from a device and blah, blah, blah. The result is that the Hulk gets his mind in person. Basically, Bruce Banner can change into the Hulk at will. Yeah. But when he turns into the Hulk, he's still got his mind, but it affects his personality. Okay. He becomes um, bestial, aggressive, more violent... Um, loves a fight, grumpy. Essentially, he becomes the thing from the Fantastic Four. Because <laughs> that was already, that was like their most popular character. Yeah. The thing was, yeah. was huge. Um, so they changed the format again. In the middle of all this, by the way, the Hulk can fly. <laughs> like, Jack Kirby keeps drawing the Hulk flying. <laughs> Despite I don't know the why fact, that's tickling me. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's just it doesn't seem like very in in kind of like <laughs> theme with the rest of his abilities and his personality and stuff. It's like, but sod it. Let's just make him fly. That'll that'll get the kids reading it. <laughs> Kirby keeps drawing the Hulk flying through the air, but Stan Lee, who writes all the words, refuses to acknowledge that he's flying. <laughs> and he keeps. 
writing in that he's leaping, but it's evident he's just flying through the sky <sighs> and not jumping anywhere. And so they really don't know what they're doing. Incredible. They've changed the format twice now, but sales are still down. In fact, sales are so bad, Marvel takes superstar artist Jack Kirby off the comic. They're replacing with Steve Ditko, who does is the co-creator of Spider-Man, but is not a big star at the time. Mm. Um, in an essay about his time at Marvel during this era, Ditko claims that Stan Lee takes, basically gives him the job as the new artist on the book by saying, I don't want to waste Jack Kirby on a failing title. Mm. It'll be bad for his look. Nothing could save the Incredible Hulk, despite the change of artists and the change of format and it being more about Rick Jones controlling a powerful monster and then it's about essentially the thing, but Hulk. Um, the Incredible Hulk is cancelled after just six issues. Oh. It's a failure. And it's probably destined at that point, the character is destined to fade into obscurity along with a hundred other comic book monsters of the early 60s, late 50s. But Stanley and Jack Kirby did keep bringing the character back for guest spots in other comics. He'd crop up in the Fantastic Four and things like that. And then they decided, when they do the first issue of The Avengers, they're going to use this now discarded character of the Hulk and put him in The Avengers. And this is ah. what saves the Hulk from obscurity. Isn't a that prominent a prominent feature in a popular comic book alongside Iron Man and the Thor? Um, he begins as a good guy yeah. before transitioning to an enemy of the Avengers. Just a couple of issues later, he 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 gets like he gets his own um, like so. There's a lot of Marvel comics that are like what what you might call twofers. Tales yeah. to Astonish yeah. features um, two different stories from two different characters, and the Hulk is in is in one of them. Um, he, he gets a, a running story in that. By the end of the sixties, through through appearances in in the Avengers and through like uh, this this Tales to Astonish, he's actually generated enough interest to once again get a starring role in his own comic book series. The second volume of the Incredible Hulk begins at the very end of the sixties. It's a decade later. A decade later, he is easily the most popular character in all of Marvel Comics. Fantastic. I was going to just... Smash hit TV series on CBS um, where Bill Bill Bixty plays and and Lou Ferengo. Um, The character is so popular. In 1977, Marvel launched a second title, The Rampaging Hulk, black and white comic magazine. Um, But all that success very nearly didn't happen as the character had such a hit and miss beginnings and was only saved by being included in the Avengers, which is all very similar to how it plays out in the movie world. Literally what I was just going to say, sorry, you were right to not let me speak. Between 2003 and the 2008 movies, the Hulk has a very hit and miss beginning, and in the end, <laughs> was only saved by being featured in the Avengers movie. We put out the call. We wanted your feedback on the Incredible Hulk movie, and uh, you responded in kind. You can always drop us a line: Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com, or indeed. Excuse me. Or indeed, you can tweet to us at Marvel Versus. I just had a sip of juice 
and all of a sudden I've got this kind of wind that keeps bubbling. It's <laughs> nothing bubbly. I'm not having a beer. Anyway, um, what's in the mailbag for us this week, Will? What is in the mailbag? We've got quite a few here. Edward Spence wrote in to say about the film, for one, Craig Armstrong's score is great. One of the MCU's best. Honest, that's, that that's true. That's really overlooked. That score is great in this movie. It's a, it's a good score. I didn't pay too much attention to the score. I must admit, but I remember it being good, but not like oh my god, I need to get sure. get, the, yeah. get the soundtrack like I do with some films. Honestly, and I say this as a man who loves some Ruffalo in his films. Part of me wonders what the landscape of the MCU would have looked like with a more serious banner and how that might have rippled up outwards. It's, I don't know yeah. if it would have rippled outwards. I. I think we would have my problem with the event the MCU <laughs> Avengers is that there isn't a huge amount of tension between them from the get go. And I would mm. have liked there should be if Hulk is on your team, there should be tension. <laughs> yeah. Should be like this yeah. guy, you know, he, he just again he's like a pet. He's a lovable pet. He's a lovable little boy. Next up we have Phil Morley who said the only MCU movie I didn't see at the cinema. Caught, caught through Love Film DVD a few months later. Please explain that. to the audience what Love Film is. Because there are younger listeners out there. Yeah, I, uh, I I had this for a while, Love Film. But <laughs> essentially what Netflix was before it became yeah, a streaming yeah. service, you would start an account, you'd pay a monthly fee, and they'd send you the DVDs in the post. So you go to a website... And I had a big list of DV, a big list of movies on DVD, and you mm. click instead of going to a, like a video rental store, which you used to have, like a blockbuster, mm. and you'd say, "I'd want the Incredible Hulk DVD," and then you'd wait three to five days, <laughs> and <laughs> it would come to you in the post, and you'd watch it, and then you'd put it in a little envelope and post it back, and they'd send you the next movie you wanted to see. I, I have to admit, when I did it, I didn't have a good time because they didn't have when I was doing it around this time. They didn't have a bigger selection as I as I wished for, and they kept sending me films that I was like, oh, I might want to watch that, but there's other films I want to watch instead. And it was, and some of them got scratched and, and unwatchable, and it was just a nightmare. I just I fund I just absolutely did not enjoy the experience, and I used to love the experience of going to a video shop. We never had Blockbuster in my yeah. town. But I, I have very fond memories of when I worked in the cinema, I'd be like, oh, I got two or three days like when I wasn't management, I'd be like, I got three days off coming up, and I went to the video store around the corner, and I'd mm. rent like five movies, like some good and some kind of just like whatevers, and then I'd be like, I'm gonna have a couple of nights of watching movies and drinking, and it's gonna be great. And I just used to really enjoy that browsing experience. You don't get a good browsing experience online; you just never do. I know some people yeah. very much like their online clothes shopping and stuff, but I don't. I don't enjoy. Uh, for me, it's just all about convenience, and I, I didn't. Mm. I never enjoyed getting DVDs in the post. I'd always forget about them, yeah. and suddenly I'm paying as as they want you to. I'm paying a monthly subscription to for a movie I've watched and forgot to send back or forgot to watch. And... Uh, yeah, I wasn't a fan. Um, anyway, he continues. Was glad to see him say Hulk smash and fight Abomination rather than wrestle big dogs and his dad as some kind of water energy thing. It was all right, but Iron Man was the way forward. That <sighs> film. Yeah, that film. No one is saying it's one <laughs> or the other. <laughs> like, no one watches the Captain America movie and goes, ah, oh, it's all right, but really, it should have been more like Iron Man. No, it shouldn't. <sighs> no, shut up. No. And I think a lot of... Not Ooh. not telling you to shut up, Phil Morley, although no. I might do. Um, <laughs> that seems to be this problem. Like you mentioned earlier, it seems like there needs to be a binary decision. Yeah. It needs to be... 
why wasn't this movie the same as Iron Man? Because it's a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wonder it's... Woman was not the same as the Batman or Man of Steel or whatever. They're different movies. Different movies, indeed. Uh, although, to be fair, a lot of Zack Snyder's DC movies feel exactly the same. <laughs> Nick Coppin said, Often overlooked and underrated. I absolutely loved this version of the Hulk. I do like Mark Ruffalo's and the Avengers version too, despite a few issues that I won't go on about here. But this one was brilliant, and I don't see why people have a problem with it. The narrative arc was good. The pacing was good. All the performances were good. The villain was good. Good. The movie was in no way overcooked, and the running time was such that it could be watched over and over again. I've, my, I myself have watched it twenty-seven times. Oh wow! Okay, that's a, that, that feels like a very Alan Partridge thing to say. Uh, must make it twenty-eight soon. Few lovely retro nods to the old TV show too. Great movie all round. Thank you, Nick. I, I fundamentally, I, I strongly agree that you're, you're, you're bang on with that. The pacing of this movie is brilliant. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, nothing drags, and it's nothing is too quick. The, the, the movie is exactly the right length as well. Like it's not, uh, it's gonna be. It's just great. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good punch, right? It really yeah. works. And again, I think, yeah, I think perhaps. There are a bunch of people who don't have any fondness for the old TV show, so those retro nods perhaps don't um, make them feel warm inside like they do me. Yeah, I I I like retro nods. I'm I'm annoying like that. I go, oh, they did a thing. They made me think of a thing. They made me remember things. Ooh, that, yeah, yeah so I think I'm as, as long that. as long as it's not like the driving point of what they're doing. Oh, right. yeah. I think some of the new Jurassic Park films were like that, and it was they did it the worst way. Anyway, Jacob Tharp said, The movie Marvel forgot about. I really enjoyed this movie, and it's a shame Edward Norton didn't work out because I prefer his banner to Ruffalo's. Tim Roth was great as Abomination and glad he got to reprise his role in She-Hulk. The only part that felt fell completely flat for me was Liv Tyler. It was a shame nothing came of the leader being teased. I, I thought Liv was all right. I'd like to understand. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm I'm never quite sure. I think she I think Liv Tyler mm. is perfect to play that kind of ethereal elf in Lord of the Rings <laughs> and maybe nothing else. I don't think I yeah. mean I'm a I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Empire Records from my youth, right? Mm. And she's uh, so I have I've always got like a, a, a soft spot for her. Mm. But I don't know. I, I, I Jennifer Connolly played the role in Ang Lee's Hulk and I think she kind of would have been perhaps a better She's a better match for the role, but there you go. Mm. Uh, Kevin uh, King finally King Canuck uh, wrote in saying, "I don't think I'll have a lot of big thoughts on the Incredible Hulk." I'm sure. Well, thanks I... for writing in, Canuck. Canuck, <laughs> what? I'm writing in to say I haven't got much to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's, it's our updates. I don't think I have a lot of big thoughts in Incredible Hulk. I'm sure I once, I saw it once or twice as a kid, but never all the way through in a way where I really understood it as a Marvel film. I meant to get around to watching it before writing this, but maybe I'll do that when I hear the episode. The one line from the trailer that always stuck out to me was the joke about Bruce not wanting to get on a subway because it's a small metal tube with the angriest people people on earth and he's him and the shot of the hulk looking fierce in the final fight and saying hulk smash don't think norton was the uh, pick to go on with the long run i know your feelings on ruffalo and i basically agree disappointed it took as long as it has for abomination to come back into the fold i blame the universal licensing for solo hulk films yeah 
Yeah, thanks, King Canuck. I mean, it, you're probably right all round. I, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think Mark Ruffalo is the right choice. I mean, it, it, it is the right choice because what they wanted to give us was a soft pet. So Ruffalo's <laughs> good for that. Yeah, I don't think that's a better version of Banner and Hawk, though. I don't know. Uh, when you compare them, when you got like Iron Man and a God and all this, all these other people, it's like uh, he does kind of feel like a pet, doesn't he? Mm. I guess Don uh, finally Don Micho wrote in to say I love this movie I remember being very happy that we got a decent length fight between Hulk and Abomination at the end I'd always thought the final fights in superhero movies were a bit short thank you Don because I I I really appreciate this because I think this is like one of the best fights in all of Marvel it's a good one it's It's really good good. and it's a and when I pay my money to see a Hulk movie I want to see a big fight. I, do you know what I mean? I yeah. really want to see a good fight. Like, I want to see two monsters smashing stuff up. And they really, they use stuff They use stuff in, around in the urban area as well as <laughs> the urban landscape. It's yeah. fun. It's a, it's a good, big old fight. There was bits I forgot about, but we'll get into later. And I was like, hey, this... It's not silly, but it, 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 it's 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 less po face than I remember. It's actually a lot of fun. If that, yeah, means. yeah, I don't think it's an. Yeah, I think they balance it well. Yeah. Um, big shout out to Peter J, Brandon Schmagilski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Basta Beer, Sam, Bindi, Supi, Jack Davis, Billy Brown, and Zubair Q. They are the tent poles holding up this traveling circus that is Marvel versus Marvel. The top subscribers who help us out each and every month on Marvel versus Marvel. Sorry, on Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. <laughs> Missed off the key bit there. Um, look, we don't subject you to adverts for mattresses or or erection pills. We don't plug other podcasts. <laughs> Um, we we don't take any sponsorship these days. We don't have any adverts. We don't. Aside from that little period of time where we forgot a thing had been turned on, <laughs> we don't have adverts interrupting your episodes, and we are only able to do that because of the wonderful community that we have on Patreon that support us and keep us on the air and allow us to spend so much of our time. Uh, making these shows and and diving into these stories and characters and history. Um, And as a reward on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, we have tons and tons and tons of really cool bonus episodes available for you. There are 70 bonus episodes available right now. Some mini shows that are like half hour long and then our full length ones, which are like 90 minutes, two hours plus. This month, we release... War of Kings as our full-length bonus episode. With Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in cinemas, our bonus show takes a deep dive into the most explosive Guardian story of all time, War of Kings. A galactic empire of the Shi'ar is a powerful and dangerous new leader. It is someone from the X-Men's past, a dark secret that Charles Xavier has tried to hide. They now rule the Shia Empire. And they're going to war with the Kree Empire. It's a war that could tear apart the very fabric of the universe and end all things. The Guardians, the X-Men, the Inhumans, everyone gets involved in this epic battle. And we probably find out just how powerful 
Black Bolt really, truly is. It's a mega, mega episode. That is our full-length bonus show uh, this month on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. You're going to get access to a whole bunch of uh, full-length bonus episodes. I think there's over 35 full-length bonus episodes up there. Um, You'll get early access to every show that we do. You can get access to over 30 of our mini-shows, including Obscure Marvel, which we bring out each and every month. Will, we learned all about the human cobra on Patreon. How did you enjoy that? Oh, boy. Uh, some of that really cracked me up. I'm just having flashbacks now, the mere mention of the human cobra. Oh, God, it was it was tremendous. He's a mix between Spider-Man and Batman. <laughs> yeah. But with mucus. <laughs> there, there, was, there were some interesting choices of that character. I uh, can't get into one here, obviously, but wow. And we also find out what happens when Thor drops his hammer. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Each and every month, uh, me and Will dive into obscure and ridiculous moments in the history Mm. of Marvel Comics on our uh, bonus show, Obscure Marvel. Each month, we release a full-length bonus episode taking a deep dive into a cool and key big Marvel story that hasn't been adapted yet. We do that for everyone. There's also our own comedy podcast up there, Rob versus Will, yes. where we uh, just muck around and uh, there's video access for people at the very top, top, top tier and early access to every show. So please take a look at patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. You can support us for as little as £3 a month, uh, British pounds. That is just, ladies and gentlemen, the cost of a one cup of coffee. You can buy me and Will one cup of coffee to say... Thanks for all the hours of hard work you put in to make the show. Thanks for all the labor you put in to put these episodes together. One drink per month is how you can support us. And in exchange, you'll get some really cool bonus features as well. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. On the other side of this break, we're going to take our deep dive into The Incredible Hulk. (laughs) 